Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And man, are we loading up on the rock and roll today. It's ACDC Power Up Release Day. And combine that with the metal god Rob Halford uh, as our guest. And of course, as a triple whammy, we got the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan and the joke of the week. Let's check that out now. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, I saw a guy straining against that. You had a trolley full of uh, horseshoes. Rabbit speed, forty clovers up a hill, straining on the cart. I thought to myself, "Wow, that guy's really pushing his luck." Thank you very much. Goodbye. Be safe. Wear a mask. Goodbye. That's a good one. I like that one. It can only come from the mind of Duff McKagan, or maybe Axel Rose, as uh, Duff said. He, him, and Axel exchanged these jokes. Uh, and like I mentioned, it's all about the rock and roll and talk is Jericho today. We already heard from Duff. It's ACDC release day. Power up, and the metal god Rob Halford is here telling some stories about his new autobiography, Confess. You'll hear me say it. It's a great read. I finished the book in less than two days. You won't be able to put it down. Uh, Rob's talking about his early days in Judas Priest, what it was like to live this secret double life in the closet as a gay man, and what happened when he finally came out to his band and his fans. Uh, he also shares what was really going on behind the scenes when he left the band, what uh, eventually brought them back together. He talks about filling in for Ozzy with Black Sabbath and preparing for those shows on multiple occasions. And of course, we talk about the great Eddie Van Halen. Rob remembers the first time he heard Van Halen's music, what it was like to be on the S Festival bill with them. So many incredible stories coming up from Rob Halford. But first, the Winnipeggers, Dave Spivak and Ryabo make a special appearance to celebrate the release of the brand new ACDC studio album, Power Up. Let's bring on the Winnipeggers. All right, so it's a big day here. Um, something that we very much need in this crazy 2020, which is a brand new ACDC record. Obviously, possibly the greatest rock and roll band of all time, putting out their first record in six years, and it couldn't be a better time for it. So I thought, what a great way to, to talk about the new record, Power Up, uh, than to have on the Winnipeggers. Uh, we got Dave Spivak and Ribo, and uh, we're going to do a little game where uh, I read out some lyrics, and whoever knows the answer to the lyrics shouts out Geico. And then they say what the name of the song is. And whoever loses has to buy the other two a copy of the new ACDC record, Power Up. Does that sound like a deal, you guys? That's a deal. Ribo already ordered it. We did. <laughs> exactly. For you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just as, as, a, as a present for me? That's just me jinxing myself. Ribo will win now. But we're all, we're all DC fans here. Some higher levels than others. But I think, if anything, just the fact that ACDC is releasing a new record... Uh, is very very exciting for anybody that likes rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a big thing for sure for all of us. So, um, you ready, Rival? I guess so. Sure. Who is Axel singing on this new one or no? No, it's Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson's back. Phil Rudd is back. So it's basically the classic lineup, with the exception of Stevie Young on uh, on guitar because Malcolm passed away. But Mal- all of these are Malcolm's riffs that he and Angus wrote before he passed away. That Angus compiled from various tapes that they had left over oh that's pretty cool yeah so basically is it basically is the the classic lineup and it's also the lineup that we saw play in winnipeg i think it was 1988 when white lion opened for acdc uh, and, and this is when malcolm was in the uh, rehab so they had stevie playing with him then that was the blow up your video that's the one yeah 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 i remember that right yeah middle of winter i remember uh, yeah, yeah. Carolyn Mraz was telling me how she knew it wasn't Malcolm Young because he had wavy hair. And why was right. I talking to Carolyn Mraz? I have no idea. Right. Wow. 
I'm gonna All get right. killed on this game. Here we go. So, so when you guys, if you guys know the answer, you say Geico, and then you give the answer. So, the first lyric is "She gave me the queen." Geico, Geico, the Jack. Nice, good one, Dave. Well, thank you very much. All right, here it goes. Thank you very much. I'm dirty, mean, mighty, unclean. I'm a wanted man. Geico. What you got, Ribo? <laughs> dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Nope. <laughs> I'm dirty, mean, mighty, and clean. Man. Public enemy, problem child. Geico, problem child. Geico, TNT. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ribo, take a note of this one. Pick up the phone. I'm here alone. Or dirty make a deeds. social. Geico, Geico, dirty deeds. Ribo said it first. He didn't say Geico yeah. first, but I'll give it to him. Oh, sure. That's probably the only <laughs> one I'm going to get. Um, no stop signs, speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down. Geico, highway to hell. Nice. I like Dave's face. He's super getting into this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have had TNT. Oh. Yeah, we're going to play the, the Kevin Bacon game after this. And we'll see. <laughs> <what he's at. laughs> Which Dave still hasn't figured out what it was. <laughs> okay, you drank all your booze and half of mine. I'm bleary eyed and you're waiting for the sunshine to come and kill me. <laughs> Oh, Geico, Carry Me Home. That's the song, Carry Me Home? What Geico, Carry from? Me Home. It's from a, a very obscure, I think it was released as a single. Easy come, easy go, have a good time with lots of dough, slipping up high, slipping down low, love them and leave them on with the show. That's total Bon Scott, but I don't know what that is. I thought that was Geico Sink the Pink for some reason, but that's Brian, isn't it? Yeah, but it could be. Okay, Sink the Pink, all right. Hmm. The lightning rod, strike it hot. It's going to hit you like the Rushmore rock. Geico, uh, hard as a rock. Wow. <laughs> My mind raced, and I thought, what could I do? And I knew there was no help, no help from you. And all you got to think of is, what can I do? Oh, it's... Uh, I was caught. Oh, uh, Geico, thunderstruck. Got it. No, stay, oh, Stacey, oh, she's in the chat. It was carry me home. It was a B-side. How did you get that, Dave? Because I'm uh, hanging out with fellows in Van Horn, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's a good call on Carry Me Home, Dave. Uh, <laughs> either Rival has no idea about any of these songs or he's frozen. I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> I actually think he's frozen. <laughs> oh. Are you there, Rival? Rival texted me. His computer's freezing. So he's, yeah, he hasn't had a chance. He hasn't had a fair <laughs> shake in this game. <laughs> Oh God! That's. Well, it looks like the two of us will continue. Can you hear? We can hear you. Let me guess. You got them all right, but we couldn't hear you, right? Yeah. All right. So the last one is blasted on the radio, breaking on the TV show, send it out on all the wires. And if I didn't know any better, your mission is to party till the broad daylight. Geico, shot in the dark. Oh, good. Good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. So that, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's the game. So I think Stacey's going to tally up who won. And because Ribo uh, <laughs> froze. They've won. Either, either Ribo froze or, or ACDC has a song called Ribo froze. <laughs> Dave won and Ribo froze and lost. So that's the. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> There he is. There I am. Hello, sir. How are you, Rob? Hello, Chris. 
Hang on a minute. Let me turn off. Turn off your tunes. I'm just listening to the new Gretzer Van Fleet song that dropped today. This is a perfect way to start the interview, Rob, because one thing about you is as long as you've been, you know, the metal god, you also are still very much tuned into new music constantly. You're, you're probably the, the one guy that is still very interested in new music from your from your generation, quote unquote, of bands. Yeah, I can't get enough of it, man. It's like water for me. You know, <laughs> I have to have a, a dose of fresh water every day, and that that comes to me with music. So I was just just digging that new Greta Van Fleet song. It's so difficult because every day there's all these great bands dropping new songs and albums. Mm-hmm. And that's just a wonderful place to be at now for a metalhead from my generation, from the yeah. from the roots of metal, you know, to have uh, been there from the start. And we zoom forward practically 50 years plus, and we see how metal is just this gigantic force in the world right now. And you've always been such a huge, you know, component flag bearer for, for heavy metal from the start. And, you know, it's funny because metal's never gone away. It goes through phases and only when you get a Guns N' Roses, for example, or, you know, a Judas Priest or an Iron Maiden, it gets a little bigger. But then usually it stays pretty much where it's always meant to be, which is kind of just a little bit in the underground. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I have talked about this over the years that metal's been thrown around the ring, (laughs) bounced (laughs) up the ropes a bunch of times, hasn't it, Chris? Yeah. over the decades, but we're still here because what we've got to say is important and has always had value. And, you know, it's that thing about once a metalhead, always a metalhead. It's a great, great kind of music in the big umbrella of rock and roll. It's one of the greatest forms of music out there. Well, let's talk about something. We're music fans, and that's something I always like whenever we get a chance to chat is it's not, you know, Rob, the metal god, and, and Chris, the you know wrestling guy or whatever. We're music fans deep down inside and always will be. And obviously, I can't start this interview without asking about the, the effect of Eddie Van Halen's passing uh, on you as a fan, as a, as a peer, as a musician. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. I remember vividly when Dave Cork, who was one of the early managers of Judas Priest, came to my house. And he banged in the door. He says, come to my car. I've, I've just had this cassette from this band that, that everybody's raving about in America. They're called Van Halen. You've got to listen to this guitarist. He's just unbelievable. So we sat outside in his car. It was like practically the middle of the night. And he put the cassette in. And Eddie fired up. And then the band fired up. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this, man? This <laughs> is just so... I've never heard anything like it in my life just blew me away. And I think we played the cassette two or three times because we were so mesmerized by Eddie's playing and, and what that very first Van Halen record was all about. So that was a thrill. And then fast forward a few years and we're in Santa Monica at the Civic Hall and we're opening a special guest for Van Halen. <laughs> and uh, so there it was, you know, and afterwards me and, me and Roth were hanging out and Eddie was hanging out with, uh, with Glenn and KK at the time talking guitars because guitar players always talk about guitars. Yes. <laughs> and uh, over the years, you know, Eddie would come to pre-shows and him and Glenn would always be chin-wagging about this guitar and this pickup and so on and so forth. So beautiful, cherished memories, Chris. And uh, as, as I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been saying just lately, it's another one of these terrible, terrible situations where we're losing these beautiful musicians for various reasons. 
Eddie's is is so so you know upsetting for lots of lots of reasons. But again, we have to celebrate, don't we? Mm-hmm. As soon as he passed, I just started cranking out Van Halen. Yeah, like when we lost Lemmy or Ronnie or or Chris or any or any of our great friends. This is the way we remember them, and they always live with us with their music. Yeah, I did that the other night. I just uh, I happened to be in a hotel room, and I just grabbed a bottle of vodka and just started looking through Van Halen on YouTube, going through all the classic gigs, all the eras, and you know, next thing you know, it's three thirty in the morning. You wake up and you're like, "Holy shit, <laughs> yeah, man!" Yeah. That's, that's that's the rock best and roll. way. Best <laughs> yeah. way. To, best way to to celebrate. You got to celebrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's natural to feel sad and upset, but celebrate because that's what music's about just a celebration one last thing about van halen is is i was watching the us festival gig and still one of the the most monumental concerts of all time uh, in 83 and priest was on that bill uh what do you remember about about that day and about van halen set i don't know if you guys did a runner after the show if you stuck around how was it for you guys uh i don't think we got to see them i think the guy i think maybe glenn went went and saw eddie because Mm. it was a mad it was a mad day but they flew us in from a hotel off-site because it was just insane. You couldn't, you couldn't drive to the site. It was like a replication of, of Woodstock at that time because people were abandoning their cars, you know, and just legging mm-hmm. it to the, to the site. But we took a helicopter. All the bands took a helicopter ride, which was only a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing we always remembered was seeing hundreds of thousands of cars just, you know, just like <laughs> everywhere. It was like the apocalypse. And then you go over that. You go over the hill, and you, you know Devore. You've played there a bunch of times mm-hmm. up in the alley, and uh, so then you see all this humanity. And you can't figure it out because it's just like all, all <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. But we landed, and of course we went on at some that that wonderful and godly time of a day for a festival. <laughs> and the searing sun is right in your face, and you're frying on stage. It's like being in a welding metal shop. Uh, but it's great, man. I watched that bit on, on YouTube and, mm-hmm. and the memories are so intense. And as you know, Chris, out of the three or four day event, the metal event was the most well attended. There's all these numbers thrown around, a couple of hundred thousand, 300,000. There was a ton of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what a great... Uh, what a great memory that is. And there's a lot of great memories as we segue. And that was a good one. Uh, you got the poster behind you for your, for your book, Confess. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, um, we were going to do this, I think, last week or whatever. I read the book in about two days preparing. And, man, what, a, what an unbelievable recollection of your life in so many different ways. And I, before we kind of get into it, what was your inspiration to, to write the book now? And had you started it before the pandemic happened or was this a result of – having nothing else going on until you wrote a book? Yeah, we started it in Gittings, was with me from the beginning. We started here in Phoenix in the summer of last year. Gotcha. Um, He flew over from the UK and we started to, you know, talk you through and and figure out where we were going to go and what we were going to do. And then, uh, so we had a a lot of meetings here and, and get togethers at the Phoenix house. Then we took a break and then we finished it off in um, the UK at the start of this year, was it? Mm. I'm pretty sure it was at the start because I was back home in the UK for Christmas time. We might have done a bit before then. Mm-hmm. I know we did about 50 hours of one-on-one chats. We, we talked and talked and talked. So that was how we accumulated all of the material. Ian steered me. He, he, he was just the master. Mm-hmm. He's the master because you don't, with him, you don't go like on a chronological timeline. 
one down in the 50s, then you're in the 80s, then you're in the 70s, then you're in the 2000s. So it's really good for your brain. Because mm-hmm. if you try and ask me what I, what I had for dinner last night, I'm struggling. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> but it was great. And the reason why now is the time is that, you know, I've lived 69 years and I feel I've enough information to share besides some of those early recollections. Um, everything else is accumulative, isn't it? I'm sure mm-hmm. if you think about Chris Jericho's life, you can get, you've got your early memories in your brain and then stuff starts to build, you know, yes. you get to your teen years and then all the other, the great stuff starts to happen in your late teens, early twenties. Uh, and so it goes. So at this point, um, it felt like the time was right. Well, and, and like I said, it is, there's so much great stuff in it. And, and we've talked, we've had the pleasure of talking quite a few times, as you mentioned, and the thing I love about your book is not only all the great rock and roll stories, but just the honesty that you have about your sexuality, about being a gay man in the 70s and 80s. And we've discussed this before about how in 2020, nobody gives a shit. But back back then, it was a really behind closed doors thing. I never realized, what the, the, not the torture, but I mean, the, a lot of mental anguish, let's say, that you went through having to keep that secret yeah it was it was a secret and um as i say in the book for so many of us you're getting your life in the wrong way around you know you're putting everybody else first and then you're putting you and then you put yourself second or third or fourth down the list i mean i think that's what we do as people that love our family and our friends and our schoolmates and workmates we love them because of the the things that we share together in life but when you're in that closet, you, you are literally hiding. You, you're literally leading a double life to some extent. And I talk in the book about the fear on my part of damaging my band, you know, right. being really worried that if I did publicly come out, that there would be some damage to the band because the world was a different place in the, in the mid-late 70s as, been, as, as Priest was picking up speed, and particularly in the 80s. And then we had that horrific... HIV AIDS pandemic at the time where all gay people were vilified. It was like our fault, which was just horrible. You know, you're responsible and we were not responsible. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was a a virus that that took the lives of all kinds of people, much like what we're suffering with, with right Right. now. So you mix all that up, Chris, and I was in a really bad place mentally. The music helped me get through it. If I hadn't got my music, I don't know where I would have been, you know, but the music was my life source for so many of those periods of, of my life at that time. I just did a podcast about a friend of mine. He was a wrestler. His name was Chris Canyon, and he he was a, a closeted gay man in the wrestling business, which once again, now in 2020, it doesn't matter. But this was only about 10 years ago. But even that, he ended up taking his life because he was very tortured, like I say, didn't want to come out. And it really got you. I think it was some mental issues too. Um, did you ever feel like that? Like you've discussed a little bit of the book, but did you ever feel like, like I can't do this anymore? Uh, I'm not going to hurt my band, but I don't want to be here. Well, I, I never felt that I could, I never felt that about the band specifically, but definitely about myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that cry for help episode where I was, you know, deep down in the proverbial shit pit, which is a bit, you got to go that low before you start to recover where I was, you know, got a bottle of Jack Daniels and a bottle of pills, and I'm just downing them one at a time, you know. Mm. And then, thank God, I see the 
there's some clarity and I realize I'm doing a really bad thing. And a friend literally saves my life by taking me to hospital and I get mm. my stomach pumped and I have a chat with the doctors and I say, so you know, you really should speak to somebody and, and uh, get to the core of what this is about that's, that's eating you up so badly inside. And I didn't do it right away. I did, I did it a short while later, which is when I started my rehab. And I got a second chance at life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think any of us have that, glorious opportunity that you make the most of it and that's what i've done being clean and sober for over 35 years now you got a great sense of humor that that birmingham sense of humor very sarcastic and sardonic and it comes through in the book and i love the points where you're talking about some of your um song lyrics in the 80s <laughs> and you look at them now and it's like super <laughs> obvious yeah, yeah. <laughs> like eat me alive and jawbreaker and yeah. <laughs> grinder all that sexual innuendo. I mean, <laughs> as I was writing those lyrics, in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, this is a bit Freudian. But, um, <laughs> but it was never my intent. I, I ne- apart from that one song, Raw Deal, on, on the Sin After Sin album, mm-hmm. when I talk about Fire Island up in New York State, all of those are the kind of parallels in some of the lyrics. It was never an intent on my part to kind of use the band for my own agenda mm-hmm. so to speak but i can see the funny side of of uh <laughs> some of the uh some of those episodes and of course eat me alive got you know put us on that filthy what was it the filthy 15 list yeah marseille who'd have thought <laughs> it you know it was a crazy time around around that moment in in rock and roll chris as you know when bands like priest and and others were being attacked politically right for the music that we were having great times with. I actually got sent home from school once because it was right after the, the defenders of the faith tour. And one of your t-shirts, it said, eat me alive on it. And it was kind of, from what I recall, like a woman in, in, woman in leather pants with her kind of legs open. Um, and they sent me home from school and told me to change my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, politically incorrect. Wasn't really the word in those days. <laughs> I know that vis- I've got visually in my mind that particular T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't get me started on equal rights for everybody across the gender mm-hmm. board. But um, that was just a little bit of, a little bit of domination. <laughs> a bit of a thrashing, a bit of a slap is good for you, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> you know, and, and you were talking, too, about how in the book that sometimes you just didn't give a shit. You would go out in public and, and just be Rob Halford, be Rob the guy and not worry about the... Because the reason why I bring this up is because this is funny. I've never told you this before, but we used to hang out at this convenience store in Winnipeg. You know, I'm from Winnipeg, Canada. And there was a guy, Priest came to town, I think on that same tour. And there's a guy who worked there and he said, last night, Rob Halford was at this club called the Black Knight. And the Black Knight was a rock and roll club. And I think that's where you actually saw the band Kick Axe. If you remember them, you brought them yes, on the I road. Do. One of my favorite all-time bands. And he said Rob Halford was hitting on somebody, my friend or whatever. And we were like, no way. I'm telling you. He was hitting on this guy. We're like, no way. Rob Halford's not gay. <laughs> what still- year was that, Chris? What year was that? 1984. 1994. Yeah. I was still in the throes of, you see, I've always been a, believe it or not, I've always been a shy guy. I've always mm. been a shy guy. <laughs> and uh, that just become that's just part of our roots and our background. So 
but I, I won't be the I won't be the first guy to say, well, I really like that guy. I really like that chick. I need a couple of drinks first to get yeah. the, <laughs> get up the Dutch courage, you know. <laughs> so yeah, once you once you have a few drinks under your belt, your inhibitions go, don't they? And <laughs> yeah. uh, you let your guard down, if that's the right way to call it. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about your about your famous voice, man. I mean, you're one of the greatest, not just heavy metal. That's too generalizing. One of the greatest rock singers of all time, even to this day, where you still have so much power and those high, high range vocals that, I mean, sometimes you probably think, why the hell did I write this melody line when I was 35 and now I'm almost 70, still having to sing the painkillers and the victims of changes and all that sort of stuff. Who were your, your inspirations as a singer and how did you cultivate your voice over the year, years to still have such a great uh, instrument at, at 69? Yeah, let me just say, it's tough for me now because I love to sing the painkiller and, and I, I can't do it as well as I did in 1991. Right. And I always feel like I'm letting the fans down, you know, because we all want to give our fans the best show that we can give. And mm. with your voice, because it's such a part of your body and as your body gets older, your voice gets older. And you can't really do the stuff you want to do. So I, I, I struggled with that for a bit. And then, I, and, then I, and then I saw some great clips of Freddie Mercury. And he would sing when he was singing live. And he would make the necessary adjustments mm -hmm. to cover the song. And I think as long as you're doing your best and as long as you're getting to the, the places that you can get to comfortably and it's sounding, sounding good and strong, that's all that matters. So having said that, um, as music became important to me, and as we know, for most of us, music becomes important as you get into your early mid-teens because you hate the world, you hate your mom and dad, you hate school, but you love your music. <laughs> so I was listening to everybody. Obviously, I was, funnily enough, it's, today is John, would have been John yeah. Lennon's 80th birthday. So I just put a thing up on my socials to celebrate him. Big mm -hmm. inspiration for me as a person, a, a mm -hmm. mus musician and as an activist. So definitely the Beatles, it was great, brilliant, love it, <laughs> absolutely stellar. For me, the Beatles were a, a great inspiration. I didn't really understand the voice that much at that time, but I know I must have been soaking that, that in, how voices can do extraordinary things, particularly the harmonies that the Beatles used to do. So there was the Beatles, obviously the Rolling Stones, Roger Daltrey, all of those early rock musicians where music was starting to get louder so singers were having to sing louder because they didn't have in ears and stuff in those days so it was a combination of all of those different great um artists that, that inspired me and you know just watching tv shows whatever it would be uh, classic singers and mm -hmm. show business singers i've always said if you're a singer you should really try and listen to every way that the human voice can be used in the singing sense. But I mean, you're, you're saying that, that you can't sing it as well as you did in 1991 painkiller, for example, but you still are. And there's other, and th once again, we're all human beings and we all do what we have to do to still entertain the fans. But there's other singers that don't have the range that they did when they were in their thirties and forties. I mean, it's very rare to be Ronnie James Dio where you can still sing like that at 70, but you're, you're not far off, Rob. I mean, I'm a singer too. And when I listen to you, and I haven't had the, the chance to see you live on this last tour, but I saw you on the one before that. And I can hear, like, there's still the power there. After doing this for so long, I mean, is there warm-ups that you do? Is it just being in better physical condition, not drinking, not smoking? I mean, genetics? Yeah, you, you, know, you know, Chris, as a fellow singer with, with your band Fozzie, resting and recuperation 
is the best for the boys. And it's difficult for us because, I mean, you love to talk, I love to talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the voice has vocal cords and they get, they get worn out because they're muscles and so forth. So you do your best to protect your voice uh, through the day before you go on stage. And just because this thing only gives me about an hour and 45 tops of what I want it to do. <laughs> it's like a separate entity in here. You're right. I don't even bother. Well, not bother. That's not the wrong word. I've never warmed up. I've never warmed up. I, I, I just have a cup of strong tea. We call it builder's tea in the UK. It's so, the tea so thick, <laughs> it's like syrup. I have that and, um, and then I'm ready to go because, you know, m- much like yourself, you never go on autopilot, but you know there are certain things that you're getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. And is it the same for you, Chris, with your band? Do you plan the set list so your voice is kind of worked in through the first couple of three songs? Is that what you do? I'm not that way. I'm, I'm stupid because I look and see, like, what would the set list be if I was a fan as far as the power and the tempos and where your big hits are and staggering, staggering them throughout? Uh, and I'm very fortunate, too, because I'm, I'm 49. I'll be 50 this year. I have a pretty powerful voice. It's durable. But there are certain songs on certain nights that if you're having a rough night, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to really be hard. So those ones are always kind of in the middle. But I always, I'm always a big proponent for you got you to gotta hit that first song. It's got to be a killer if it's fast, if it's whatever. So I try and just wrap my voice around whatever that is. Sometimes it's not easy, as you know. It, it isn't easy. It isn't easy, especially as we move on in life. You just have to make the necessary adjustments. I think as long as your fans hear those songs that they've come to hear and they're, they're entitled to right. that's your duty that's your responsibility to give your fans what they want as long as they, as long as they're there you know whether mm. it's i mean somebody people have said why don't you do painkiller at the front of the set because your voice is fresh and i'm like well i could do that but there are certain songs like with fuzzy you save those don't you you save yes. those for the back end because you want to go out with the best kind of you know the best yeah. kind of experience so it's all about planning, and that's what we have to do. Another thing I really enjoyed about your book that it's kind of a, a underrated time frame of your career was was your solo years, so to speak. And um, I remember when the first Fight record came out. I was actually wrestling in Hamburg, Germany, which, as you know, is possibly the most heavy metal city in the world, with the exception of maybe Birmingham. And everybody in Hamburg was like, the new Ralphard is out. It's fucking fight. It's fucking amazing. You got to hear it. And just that Into the Pit. Like, even to this day, when I listen to Into the Pit, it's so fucking heavy. And it's just, it's really great stuff. And it's it's the natural progression from Painkiller. Was your thought process, and I, I think you mentioned in the book that you kind of left Priest and not really knowing that you had left Priest until it was too late to go back. Uh, yeah. First, yeah. tell us a little bit about that and then what, what the mindset was to release this crushingly heavy fight record. Well, well it's still all so very murky. It's, it's the classic example of Led Zeppelin communication breakdown, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not unique to bands. I mean, we've all gone off in this direction or that direction for this reason or that reason. And, we, and in hindsight, we wish we could have communicated the, the reasons and the ideas better. For Priest, it was particularly tough because we'd, we'd had the Reno trial to deal with. The painkiller record was ready to go, but we had to get through the, the Reno trial where those two beautiful boys, massive Priest fans, lost their lives through nothing to do with the music, but totally other things. They blamed it on you, yeah. Yeah. So we, we had to get through all of that. 
And then we had to go on full raw with, with Painkiller, which we did. But again, you know, looking back through time, this band had worked its ass off for over a decade, literally nonstop in the 80s. We were dropping an album a year mm-hmm. and doing world tours. I don't know how we did that. I look at the discography. Priest did this and this and then. <laughs> how the hell did we get that done? Yeah. So, and it's much like everything else, you know, too much of anything is, is, is not good for you. And the, the pressure cooker keeps boiling and boiling and boiling. And that night in, in I think it was Toronto, was just like the tipping point for me. I needed to get away. I needed a break. You know, I just needed to get off and do something. And, and that's when the communication broke us up for a while. Well, me didn't break the band and the band carried on. So I went back here and, and I, you know, thought about what I was going to do. And, you know, I've, I've really got to search myself as a musician to see what I'm, what I'm capable of doing. I don't think it was a selfish journey, but it was something that was very important. I think because I did that, I found I find out a lot more about myself as a musician, which was important, especially with the journey back to priest. Mm-hmm. So the way metal was changing at that time in the early nineties, Chris, some of the greatest metal bands at the time released some of the greatest metal albums ever. You look at the first three to five years of the nineties, unbelievable mm-hmm. from all kinds of bands, you know, Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica, Pantera, it's just chuck a block of really potent, strong stuff. So that was an inspiration for me. And I put all of that music together in my bedroom here at the Phoenix house. I had a little setup in my bedroom. And, you know, sometimes I get out, out of bed in the middle of the night and I very primitively lay down these riffs, you know. <laughs> and that's how War of Words came about. And I was really pleased with the, with the whole experience because, as I said, Musicians are always searching for what we're, what we're able to do. And that was, a, that was an important moment for me to go through. It was such a str- strange time for heavy metal too. Like you mentioned that, you know, with the Metallica and Pantera and Sepultura and all those bands in the early 90s, also too was the end in a lot of ways of, of, of the two biggest bands, in my opinion, of the 80s in heavy metal, true heavy metal, was of course Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. And both of your, your bands lost their iconic lead singers pretty much at the same time and then kind of went through the wasteland and both you guys came back at the same time. It was very strange to see that happen. Bruce and I have never talked about that. Really? No, he's a, he's a good mate. And I, I don't know whether we've just never decided to talk about it or what, but we've, we've never brought up the, the discussion. LSD, lead singer's disease. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Nick, Bruce. Guilty. <laughs> me, Bruce. Uh, didn't Vince? Vince went off and didn't stop. Yeah, Vince Neil left as well. That's right. Who else can we think of? Uh, I, I know Dawkin left his own band. Don Dawkin was gone. Did Jeff? Did Jeff go away from Queens Rock to do any stuff? He left. I think about five or six years later. But it was yeah. He was gone for yeah. He was there too. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But I, I think I think there's a bit of a again a bit of a parallel with with Bruce's journey. And myself, you know, and I think uh, we know the heavy metal world was was horns in the air when both of us went back to our respective bands. I think there's a, there's a plus as lead singers, you know, we, we're different animals as it is. I think a lot of it is almost like a like a petulant schoolboy. It's like, oh, really? Well, I'm just going to leave then. Well, OK, then leave. You want me to leave? Well, do you want to leave? Do you want to leave? Fine, I'll leave. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm, I've we left. Never grow, we never grow up. <laughs> In rock and roll bands, we never grow up. We're like kids, you know. And I think that's important because you've got to have this 
you've got to have this like childlike, youthful exuberance that mm-hmm. once you start thinking old, you become old, you become old mentally, you know, and if you can fight against that, that's a great way to, to live as you move, move on in life. I never want to grow up, you know. I'm like the Peter Pan of heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right behind you, Rob. You're my inspiration. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because I, I kind of went through the same thing. We first started Fozzie, and I was used to wrestling in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people in arenas or whatever. And then you start with Fozzie, and people automatically think, well, it's Chris Jericho and the guys from Stuck Mojo. There's going to be, you know, a thousand people. Well, guess what? There's 40 people exactly. in a, you know, in a shitty little pool hall in, in you know, South Carolina somewhere. It really puts you in your place quickly. You mentioned that in the book, but, but how was it for you when you leave the mighty Judas Priest and start fight and nobody's there? <laughs> in German, the gig, and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> really tiny little club. It was rammed because the Germans were ready, you know. Right. The Germans were ready for War of Words. But, yeah, I had to really walk back in time. But i tell you what that did for me, Chris. It, again, it really was an eye-opener because – You've really got to be prepared with, with, with any new band to pay your dues. It doesn't matter how much time you've put in previously with, with whatever mm-hmm. band you've been with. You have to start from scratch. You're not entitled to anything in life. You have right. to earn it. You have to earn it, you know? And that's what we did with the fight band. That was a really kind of short blast of metal power. We didn't really last that long. But in the time that we were together, the War of Words album, and to some extent, the Small Deadly Space album, did, did a lot of good things. And something that a lot of people might know is that Russ Parrish, who is Satchel and Steel Panther, was your uh, guitar player for that record for War of he Words. Was amazing, phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. Still is today. I mean, I love that band. It's a great, great concept, great idea, unique. There is only one Steel Panther. Yeah, they're great. We toured with them a few times. They always have a blast. They're, they're good guys. When you're talking about about Priest, how, how was the the road to the reconciliation for you to get back into the band? I was talking about talking about this last night with Thomas because we do our nightly hike around the hills here because I've got to try and still keep in fairly decent shape. I, I do my I do my hour plus hiking walk every night, no matter what, and I do my thirty minute swim, no matter Great. what. So I try and try and keep physically together because mm-hmm. road work is grueling as you know chris sure if you've got a fancy jet or a fancy bus if you're doing shaft to shaft to show and you've got it you know the hours it's just crazy mm-hmm. so but i was talking to thomas about this and he reminded me that the day that we actually reunited was when ken and ian came to my house in england with the at the time i'm sure it was the the metallurgy box set the the black cube box set Mm-hmm. And we came to have a to have a talk about that, and I'd seen it. I'd seen him occasionally prior to that moment, and I think I saw Ken once at my mum and dad's wedding anniversary. But we were sitting there talking about the box set and about the songs, and it looks great. Now this is like that album and this album, and then we'd finished all that, and then somebody said, uh, "So shall we get back together again?" And we all went. I went, "Yeah, that's, that's great. Let's do it." <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> That was it. And then they left about three minutes later. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, back in breeze. Yeah, fuck yeah, back in breeze. <laughs> it's one of those things, and I've had it before too, where you have these 
years of animosity. Like you said, all it takes is one sentence and you're like, what the fuck are we so mad at each other for? And anyways, like what the heck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, unless you're in a band, you can't really explain it. Can you? Mm -hmm. Chris? It's just, yeah. It's a peculiar thing, yeah. But when Priest was was announced with Rob Halford returning, that obviously gave a huge shot in the arm to the band. There's some really big buzz about that. It must have been exciting for you. Oh, it was. It was. I mean, it's mad because I said it many, many times, I never felt like I left Priest. I just mm. felt like I went, wandered off down the metal road for a bit. Because my, <laughs> heart and soul, my heart and soul are embedded to Priest, and they always will be. But it was. It was just, it seemed like such a simple thing to do and say like 10 years later and there it was did you ever listen to the priest records with tim owens i didn't know and I'm, i've been asked this before it's a perfectly legit question i think it's just because my association isn't there mm. uh, in those albums i've heard one or two tracks but i haven't listened to, to the albums in their entirety you know i've always been a, a fan and a friend of what what rip has done over the years we're friends that's cool. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It's just, uh, it's just something, something unusual. I but get I'll, it. I've said this. I have said this. You know, we, we should be on the road. Like Fozzie should be on the road. Um, we're all taking these extended breaks, and we're all planning to get back out, and we, we're going to complete this fiftieth or start and finish this fiftieth anniversary priest tour eventually. If there's a song on there from either Jugulator or Demolition that has a place, we'll do it. Oh, that's great. They're all important. Every album that this band has made is important. It's all it's all validated, you know. You know, fans love that stuff too because I know I, I always appreciate when Iron Maiden does, you know, a Blaze Bailey song, "Sign of the Cross" or what have you. And even Guns N' Roses, when they reunited, they did a couple songs from Chinese Democracy with Slash and Duff playing on it. Just became Guns N' Roses songs. So that's really cool. It'd be cool to hear something from one of those records, if, like you said, if it fits. Yeah, the music is bigger than any of us, really. Right. So I've said before, Priest isn't one person. It's just this, it's just this musical entity that's got a life of its own. There's another great story in there, and I, I didn't realize it happened more than once, where you, with very little notice, were asked to fill in for, for Black Sabbath uh, once when, I believe, Ronnie didn't want to do the show and once when Ozzy couldn't do the show. Uh, how was that stepping in? Because obviously you have the Birmingham connection, the home of heavy metal. You're the metal god. But going to sing with Black Sabbath, that seems almost like a step above of what you're like, oh my gosh, how does it get any bigger? Well, now you're singing for Black Sabbath. <laughs> both, of them, both of them were like a combination of kid in a heavy metal candy store, <laughs> but also being terrified because, as I've said again many, many times, the love of my life is priest, but, you know, there is Sabbath. So, yeah, that first time we did have, did have a little bit of preparation because Tony called me in advance, called me in advance, and we talked about the set list. And then the guys came through Phoenix on the way to California, and we had one rehearsal. Oh. I learned the songs, which I already knew because I know every Sabbath song. And then like a day or two later, we had those two shows at Costa Mesa, and that was just so surreal. I think I tell the funny story about getting lost on stage <laughs> before the show starts. I don't know whether that's in the book. What happened? Tell us. But we, we, got all, we all got dressed, you know. We were all kitted up and ready to go and do the business. And I walk out with Tony to the left side of the stage. And the, the lights go down, the fans start screaming, and the intro tape starts. And I go, Tony, when are we walking on? And he's gone. <laughs> Where's he gone? Where's he gone? Tony, Tony. I can't find Tony. And I think, oh, shit. And we, did, we, we said, 
previously, you go on on the left and I'll go on on the right. So I'm stumbling around in the dark by myself, trying to find <laughs> the right side of the stage. I find it and I'm looking, there's nobody, on, I can't, and there's smoke and there's dry eyes. So I start to walk out thinking that the band is there. So I walk out to the middle of the stage and there was like a little bit of light and bands are going mad. And I look around and there's nobody on the stage. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I've come out too early. You know, it was like the spare, spare dick at the wedding. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Shall I walk back off again? And then I see Tony coming, walking on these, laughing his head off. Tony's a real jokester. Tony loves to pull pranks. Everybody in that band is a jokester. So uh, that was like a double memory of that. And then, of course, the thing, the thing over in, in um, Camden, I think it was, yeah. Sharon called me up like a couple of hours before the show and said, Oz, he's not feeling very well. Can you sing his show? And I said, yeah, when do you want me to do? And she goes, tonight. And I'm like, tonight? <laughs> uh, so you do what you do. We help each other, don't we? Because yeah. we've always got each other's backs. That's the main thing. Was there any songs in that second appearance that weren't in the first that you had to like get a... A discman and read, listen through, or there probably was in, in, in hand on heart. I can't remember this that list. They're probably on that great website, right? Right, right, right. It's cool. But, but I know when Tony called me up initially for that first those Costa shows, he said to me, Are there any Sabbath songs that you want to do? And I'm like, Tony, <laughs> no, I've always wanted to hear Sabbath do this song or that song. And he's like, Oh, god, I forgot about them. <laughs> so we actually played a couple of three songs in Costa Mesa that, that, that the band either never played before live or they hadn't played for the longest time. I can't remember the set list from uh, the- was, was, Is there any songs that, that, that you like, of the classics that you enjoyed singing the most out of those Sabbath songs? Did we do NIB? Oh yeah, you did NIB, yeah. We did yeah. NIB, didn't we? Yeah. Oh God, see, you put me on the spot, Jerry Well, that's Cole. a good one. I have to have a list. But there were, there were at least, there was, there was a handful that I was thrilled to have the honor and privilege to sing. Back in the days pre-YouTube, it's probably up there now, but that was one of the, uh, the hardest kind of tape trading things to find would get the, get the Rob Halford set from, um, from when you did that show in, in Costa Mesa or the two shows. And I actually found, a, a, did you ever used to go to Japan to airs in Japan? Oh yes, yes. Uh, Junko, Junko yes. had all the the bootlegs. Yes, yeah. So air, air, everything, airs, everything. Yeah, it was a place in in Tokyo where you could go and they had every band, ten, twenty, thirty yeah. bootleg shows. And the gimmick was so nobody sued them. Is whenever you went in there as a musician, they would give you whatever you wanted. And that was yes, yeah. that's right. And it, oh my god, I could have spent days <laughs> in that place because it was only a small small. Yeah building small little uh, room little shop room. yeah but it was round you couldn't see the walls or the ceiling because it was like from the floor up you know and god yeah i just had to stop i had like three or four carrier every time to carry stuff to take you back to the hotel the first time i went i asked her name, like i said her name was junko i said junko do you have any beatles stuff she's like yeah follow me she goes around the corner there's a whole wall i'm like beatles in sweden 1963 like what is this where are you finding this stuff it was a real great place to go there's a great friend of mine who has, has probably got the largest, call them bootlegs, call them rarities, the, the largest collection of priests. Oh, wow. Rare. He's got like three, 300 plus cassettes and uh, bits of video stuff. He, he and I stay in touch all the time. And I just, he's a, he's a great guy. And I always say, just keep that stuff for us. Just keep it. You're like the, the guy, just keep it there at your place over in, in uh, Maryland. Right. And, 
So it's just wonderful. I say to all bands, it doesn't matter where you go or where you end up. Whatever you do, tape it, film it. Mm -hmm. Even when you rehearse, just keep it. Even if it's just like a song, because you never know how useful and important what you're doing now might be 10, 20 years ahead. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Last few questions for you, Rob. Um, I feel the last Priest record, Firepower, was not a return to form because you never strayed, but I just thought that record was excellent and produced by our mutual friend and a, f a former Fozzie member, as a matter of fact, Andy Sneap. And of course, now Andy's in the band. Tell us a little bit about how Andy, how you worked with him to create Firepower and how he ended up in Judas Priest, the dream gig for, uh, for him. Let's see. Glenn and Richie and myself talked about Firepower before we even made it. It was a pretty simple idea. We wanted to really focus and utilize all of the great classic elements of this band that you hear from Sad Wings of Destiny all the way through. So that was our kind of blueprint for writing. And we were very, uh, very strict on the stuff that we were doing. You know, when we would come up with riffs and ideas, we go, that's great, but it's not right for this record, you know? So we put that in the vault. We've got so much stuff in the vault. And then it was like, who are we going to get to produce it? And the idea was always to have Tom Allen come back in. But equally, we, want, we were aware of all the great things that have been happening in metal. Mm. And, you know, again, I can't remember how Andy Sneap's name came into the, I don't know whether it was from Glenn or maybe Glenn had done something with him. Anyway, Andy was the guy. So there was Andy, there was Tom, there was Mike Exeter who had just come off the Sabbath 13 album. Mm. And so there it was. That, that was how we, uh, how we started to put the components together for um, the firepower. What a, what a great time. It was just a really special moment for the band. Go ahead. Yeah, just quickly with the way that, that, that Andy has been so gracious and uh, stepped into Glenn's metal shoes. You know, we were, we were rehearsing and jamming. And Glenn was there and Andy would come in and hang out. And there was the day when Glenn said, look, guys, I think it's best if I just step to one side because, you know, I, I want to play the guitar like I know I have to play mm -hmm. the guitar. Glenn's a perfectionist, one of the greatest ever metal guitar players ever. And I thought that was a really brave, heroic, strong thing to say, that he felt that if he'd have gone out, his playing wouldn't have been at the level that he felt it needed to be for mm -hmm. Priest. So that same day, we brought Andy in and, Andy, would you help out with, uh, with this tour? Yeah, whatever you need. Let's go. Let's do it. So we made that tour happen. Um, and just to, just to quickly finalize this, Glenn is and always will be a fully integrated member of Priest. He's back in the UK now, probably riffing. <laughs> he can still play, play the guitar and he's still writing music. And uh, his, uh, his name will be all over the next bunch of Priest songs when we finally get back into the world of being able to write and record again for some more sessions. And just for people that don't know, Glenn has the, the early stages of Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Yes, he's been dealing with Parkinson's for a long, long time. He had it for he, he had it forever. He didn't even know he'd got mm. it until they began all these trials and tests. And they said, "Oh well, you know, you, this started in your body so many years ago." My like, God, I can't believe it. You know that he was still able to go out and work. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible, horrible, cruel thing for anybody to have to deal with. And so Glenn's still bravely battling on. And we've got this Glenn Tipton Foundation and our beautiful fans around the world have already raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, which goes to research. 
Uh, you can do that by going to any pre-socials, finding the connection. If it's a dollar, whatever, anything, penny, whatever. We also put the bike out at the front of the show mm-hmm. for everybody to oh, sit on. Cool. Put a book in the in the pot, ten bucks in the pot, whatever. We're always raising cash because I mean anything like this, whether it's Parkinson's, cancer, whatever. There's never enough money mm-hmm. to fund research, so it's all good. Glenn was always the one that all the chicks in in, in Winnipeg loved. He was the hot guy and priest. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll pass that on to him because we still. I'll give him a text later. Please do. <laughs> he like that. He loves a boost. <laughs> I thought it was cool too that you would have him come and play a couple songs with you guys whenever the time was right. You know, whenever he could break in the law or whatever it was. It's, like I said, we appreciate that as fans. That you know, he, he's he's coming out to to do whatever he can to to still rock and roll. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's he's just amazing. I love being with him. I miss him terribly because we're having to be apart with what's sure. going on. And for people like our generation, as you know, Chris, it's particularly difficult. Yeah. We have to keep safe, you know. We have to keep quarantined. And I rarely, rarely ever, ever go out. I braved it the other day to get some skeletons and stuff to put around the house for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> with a, with a PPP on and everything. And like, stand six feet away. Right, right, right. Yes, sir. Stand six feet away from Metal <laughs> <laughs> just winding down you're obviously now the flag bearer for priest as, as you guys you know when you can tour again with the last few shows where now it's you and ian kind of the original guys scott's been there for 30 years but you have richie uh and and, and sneep out there with you andy so i mean it seems once again the music far outlasts you know the members of the band because you guys are all we're all judas priest fans and just having you guys play is an amazing experience in 2020 do you feel now that you are kind of the flag bearer for priest and still the flag bearer for heavy metal that you've always been well i think that's very nice words i really appreciate that chris and and i think there are i think there are other bands out there that may not have been together as long as priest but we're all still doing the stuff aren't we we're all defending the heavy metal faith we're keeping the heavy metal faith alive and Priest might have been doing it a little bit longer than everybody else, but that's what we do, you know, and the metal community is there for everybody. We love each other, although we care for each other. We support each other with our metal and uh, Priest is still going to go on into that long distant metal future. Yeah. Like you said, when you guys did the Epitaph tour, which was, you know, the retirement tour, the end tour, the final tour, I was like, no. And then you just kept going. It's like, that's better. <laughs> yeah, that was that was another another classic example of miscommunication. But um, anyway, yeah, the priest is alive and kicking those big heavy metal boots. Uh, last two questions. First of all, what do you want people to take away from Confess after they read it? Well, just a further insight into who I'm at, who I am as a person. If you're interested, the other reason, Chris, is that inevitably there's like this there's like the pseudo unofficial autobiographies that, that get made. I don't know whether anybody's done that about Chris Jericho, the wrestler, mm-hmm. but it, it's just inevitable. You're going to get like little bits of information here, there and everywhere. And you're not getting the truth and the facts. So that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I just felt it was, you know, it's not like you've got to do mm-hmm. it, but because I've, I've lived such a beautiful life and I'm, I'm so grateful to, for everybody for giving me this life in metal. It's just something to give back. You know, you give, you give with your music, and I think another another element in that is just giving back what you've experienced in life and just sharing some of those things that maybe didn't know about. And what some of those moments, particularly the darker moments, can be utilised in some way. You know, can can help you through an idea or a 
or a situation that you're dealing with yourself. Mm. Because that's what it's about, man. Life, life is about living and loving and sharing, and that's how it should be. Yeah, I get a real vibe of, of, of don't be afraid to be yourself, yeah. you know. And I, I really appreciate that from 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 your standpoint, where you couldn't quite do that thirty years, forty years ago, but now you're so much happier that you could be this person that you are. And anybody else that feels like you used to should take your advice. Yeah, and that's what we do. I mean, as you get older, people ask you more and more for for information, and I'm happy to share it, no matter what it might be. You know, whether it's dealing with um, coming out of the closet, whether it's dealing with being uh, clean and sober, whether it's dealing with mental issues because of my depression mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's what we do. That's what we do, man. Yeah. We love each other. We need more love in the world, especially right now. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Last question, Rob. What's your favorite song to sing with priests when you guys play live? Is there one that... Oh, yeah, it's tough. I always say Victim of Changes just because that, yeah. to me, has got everything in metal. Got the slamming riffs, the twin guitars, the screaming vocals, the quiet bits, the crescendo at the end. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's funny, I didn't understand that song as much when I was a kid, but now that I'm older, I, that that might be my favorite pre-song. It, it's it, it grew it grew on me over the years as I got experience in life. You know, it's a good song. It's a good yeah, metal it is. Tune. Yeah, it's a good song. Confess is a good book, and you're a good guy, Rob. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. I appreciate it, Chris. It's always a pleasure, man. These these chats we have are very special and mean a lot to me. Good luck with everything you do with the Fuzzy and in your sports world. And uh, you, what you, you've been doing all this for like, like over 30 years, isn't it? It's my 30th year anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations, man. That's a friend of mine you. That, that you met in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said to send Chris his, his best wishes. What an achievement, man. You're a star yourself in, in so many ways. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Rob. Stay safe. Stay metal. Stay hard. Wash your fucking <laughs> hands. <laughs> Tell Sneepy's a wanker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> See you, brother. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye.